Good morning, Unionville Alliance Church. It is such a delight to be with you again today, and I'm so disappointed that I can't be with you in person, but delighted to be able to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I'm excited about the series that you have been studying together on the person of the Holy Spirit. I believe that he is one of the most misunderstood members of the Trinity. And when we fully understand the role of the Spirit and begin to step in, then in some ways it just kicks our walk with God into a different level. It's kind of like if you're using kind of Star Trek language, it's like it goes into warp speed. And so I'm excited to talk with you today about what does it look like to be empowered by the Spirit as a, as a lifestyle? You know, many years ago, I worked with an organization, and one of the tasks that I had was to pick up uh, international workers at the airport. This one day, I was asked to go and pick up this gentleman, and I'd never met him before, and I'd seen a picture of him, so I went with that image in my mind, but when I got there, nobody like that showed up, and so I kind of wondered, did he miss, you know, his plane, and, you know, I had this seen this picture of a tall, blonde gentleman, and all of a sudden, I heard my name called to the information booth to meet my party. And here was this short, gray-haired gentleman who was the guy I was supposed to be picking up. And, you know, most likely, he walked right past me, and I missed him because I had some misunderstandings about what he was going to look like. One of the biggest roadblocks to us moving into spirit empowerment as a lifestyle often has to do with some of the myths and misunderstandings that we have about the person of the Holy Spirit and what spirit empowerment looks like. One of the first ones is this, that we think it's for weirdos and for wingnuts, you know, it's for those wild and crazy people. Do we dare even say the charismatic, like that word in some churches is almost something you don't want to say. One of our pastors was talking with to me recently about her own journey into spirit empowerment. And she said, you know, when um, when the airport church thing hit in Toronto and there was all these wild and crazy stories, she just made a pronouncement that I do not want anything to do with that. I am not participating in that. And yet, as she began to go deeper into the things of the spirit, one of the first things the Lord put his attention on was her pronouncement that she had made that kind of closed the door for the spirit coming to her almost at all. And so she kind of repented of that. She looked in the scriptures and saw, you know, it doesn't have to be wild and crazy. There are times the spirit of God comes with gentleness. And she softened her heart and she opened up her heart to the Lord and he came very meaningfully to her. It was very gentle. And she asked him, she said, could you confirm that this was really you? If it is really you, would you lift the depression that I've been wrestling with? And you know, the Lord instantly lifted it for her. Another myth or misunderstanding that we have is that the spirit empowerment life, it, it's only for the heavyweights. Like, yeah, the senior pastor, the chairman of the board, they need to have that sorted out. But for the average person in the pew, is it really necessary? And yet, you know, when you look in the scriptures in Acts chapter six, when they're getting to the place and they need to to beef up the hospitality committee, you know, the deacons, they needed some people to wait on tables. What kind of people did they look for? They looked for people that were filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. 
You know, another myth that uh, many people have is that spirit empowerment that we see in the book of Acts, that was just for the book of Acts. And as soon as we got the scriptures in their fullness, we don't need those gifts anymore. And yet when you look in the scriptures, you look at Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter four about the fivefold ministry. When you look in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about all the gifts and it says that all the gifts are necessary for the strengthening and the building up of the church. And then one final one that, you know, spirit empowerment, it's really the main evidence is just that the fruit of the spirit is evident in your life. You know, if, if that's evident, then, then that's good. That's all you need. And while absolutely the fruit of the spirit must be evident in the Christian's life, but that isn't all that God offers us. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, I have to leave in order that the spirit of God can come and live in you so that you can become like Christ. You can exhibit the fruit of the spirit, but also that you are going to do greater works than I have done, Jesus said. What are the greater works that God has planned for Union Bill Alliance? What are the greater works that God has planned for you in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? The secret to walking into the fullness that God has for us has to do with our understanding of what does it mean to be empowered by the Spirit as a lifestyle. It's not just an experience. Sometimes think, well, yeah, I, people think I had that experience. Okay, let's motor on. But the call of the Christian is to live 24-7 dependent on the person of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the beautiful thing is, is members of the church of God, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've been filled with the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God is already at work in you, creating a longing for this very thing. I loved as Pastor Daniel started out the sermon series with you, he told you the story of, a, of an African gentleman named Kabu and of his deep, deep desire to go deeper into the things of the Lord. And, and he was willing to lay down everything to pursue this. And God met him and used him powerfully that by the time he died at an early age, he'd had a massive impact with his life. Because you see, you and I, if we are just dependent on ourselves, we are going to have a little ripple of an impact. And most of the time, our Christian life is going to be more like kind of barely surviving. It's not going to be thriving. But God's desire for us, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. Interestingly enough, you know, Jesus gives images of what does this look like? How do we live this life to the full? And if you look in the scriptures, you know, one of the passages that Jesus referenced is John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. It's on the screen for you. Jesus says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Rivers of living water flowing from within you. 
You know, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, John chapter four, verses 13 to 14, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the natural water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The passage that was read for us from Jeremiah 17 is another one of these images that the Old Testament gives us of basically a spirit-empowered life, where it gives us a vivid comparison of what does it look like to be trusting in me, my own strength, my flesh, and what is the fruit of that kind of life, and what does it look like to be trusting in the Spirit of God. Passage was read for you already, so I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to reread it, but I want us to look, there's a chart on the screen, and I want us to look just briefly at what are some of the comparisons that come out in this passage. And I believe with all my heart that this is a passage, this is a gift from the Lord to us for today. We're in difficult times, war breaking out in Eastern Europe, things happening in our own nation. We're uncertain about some of the things that are happening with our own food supply chains and some of those things. And it would be very easy for us to kind of feel like we're living in a wasteland and we're not able to move forward. But I want us to look at this, asking the spirit of God to awaken us and to open our eyes afresh to understand what is it that the spirit of God is trying to communicate to us through the inspired word of God in this image. Notice, first of all, that the comparative issue between both images is trust. Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in man or are you trusting in God? And the challenge with the issue of trust is that you, we often don't, aren't conscious of what we're trusting in until what we're trusting in falls apart. For many of us, we've lived in fairly comfortable lives. It doesn't mean we haven't had trials. We haven't worried about where we're going to put food on the table. We haven't worried about the security of our jobs. And all of a sudden through COVID, some of those things have been threatened. What happens when we're trusting in man? Well, the Bible says we draw strength from whatever you're depending on. And then it says there's kind of like a, a progression here. I'm trusting in man. I'm getting my nourishment from that. And I subtly turn away from God. In fact, the whole book of Jeremiah was written to the people of God because they had subtly walked down this pathway. You know, if you flip back to Jeremiah chapter 1, it's interesting that the scripture says, uh, you know, God says to the children of Israel, he says, like, no other nation has done what you're doing. No other nation has changed their gods, but you have. And he goes on to say, um, let me just find it here. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He's saying it would be okay if you just didn't know about me and you chose to kind of go your own way. That's one thing. But you've actually tasted and seen that I am God and you have rejected me and instead walked away to create your own cisterns or your own streams of living water. 
And, and so this image that he gives in Jeremiah 17, it's like, this is an image that I need to confront you with because I desperately want you to be people that are alive and well. And so what's the difference? What's the other side? Well, when you trust in the Lord, you have confidence in him. And it says you live this abundant life. You've planted your tree next to the streams of living water. So there's always access to water, even in a year of drought, even when the heat comes. Interestingly enough, in this passage, there's kind of a desert-like climate in both scenarios, and yet one is walking without fear, with confidence, and with a sense of fruitfulness, and the other is gradually moving into a state of desolation and isolation. When you look at this passage, it's a no-brainer. Like, why wouldn't you want the second one? Of course you would. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is why do we struggle so much to trust in God? Well, part of the reason is because just like the Israelites, we've kind of allowed ourselves to become dependent on our comforts and the things in our culture that we've taken for granted, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses 10 to 14, if you take a look at it, the children of Israel are, are being cautioned. They're saying, we've, God is saying, I've given you so much blessing, but be careful that you don't kind of gradually forget where it came from and fall away from him. Is that what has kind of subtly happened for many of us in the Western world? And what effect has it had on our walk with God? The second thing, another reason that we often struggle to put our trust in the Lord, the Bible says in the verse right after this explanation in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, it says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And the challenge with being in the desert is there's mirages out there that you think, oh, if I only go in this direction, I'm going to get that, that beautiful uh, pond or whatever. It's right over there. I'm going there. One of the best things you can pray for your Christian life is that God would lift all the deception that you might be living under off of you so you can see clearly what is going on. You know, bottom line, our default posture is I can do it myself. You know, a little warning light comes on the gas meter and you're like, oh, I think I can get to the next place. I can do it. We kind of don't heed some of the warnings and no nudging the person next to you if that's a live uh, story in your narrative, it's in all of us, right? We think we can do it. And sometimes the best thing that God can allow in our lives is to have us hit a wall where we find out, oh, I can't do this anymore. And Jesus is like, oh, hallelujah. I've been waiting for you to get to that place. But the third thing, which is probably the most devastating, is that we don't really know our God. We don't really no, our God. You know, it's so interesting in this passage. I, I working my way through the Bible and I got to Jeremiah and I was like, I don't really want to read the book of Jeremiah, Jesus. It's, it's so kind of depressing. It's all about warnings and judgments, you know, and I kind of put it off for a bit and then like, okay, no, I need to read this book. And I have been so blessed. But what has struck me is, you know, Jeremiah is filled with the prophetic words that God desired to send to the children of Israel to get them back on track. And Jeremiah preached sermons to them for 20 years of what they needed to do to get right. 
God says after 20 years, go back. Please write these things out. R gather your sermons, your poems. Get a scribe. Let's write them out because the whole body of Christ is going to need this. But tucked in the middle of all of the judgments and the warnings is these amazing truths about how God protects Jeremiah. And one of my favorites is Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. You know, on one hand, just before that, like read a couple verses before God is saying like these children of mine, they are doing stuff that would not even enter my mind. Have any of you ever said that about your kids? God is saying, I can't even believe the stuff they're doing. But then he turns around and he says in verse 40, but I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. Why wouldn't we trust in a God who promises he will never stop doing good to us? Part of our problem is our definition of what's good. You know, my, I have a little dog. You might hear him in the background here. I'm trying to keep him tamed down and not barking too much in this, in this recording. But he recently had to have some dental surgery. And, and when you have an animal that has surgery, especially a dog, you have to put a cone around their neck so they will not lick or dig into the stitches and mess it up. And they hate it. And it wasn't fun even for me to put this thing on him, but it was good for him. It was good for him. And sometimes there are things that God allows in our lives because they're good for us to protect us from ourselves. And, you know, part of the thing that's going to help us live a spirit-empowered life as a lifestyle is to understand that our God is good. You know, we just have to look back in history, and a couple of quotes are, are going to come up on the screen for you, of the fathers of the faith who knew that they knew that they knew their God was good, and they stood on it. I love this one by Augustine. He says, the creative power of God is to be found not only in the beginning, but in the process of history amid the currently unfolding human story. Athanasius says, God is always doing something new in history, always creating or recreating a new people, ever restoring that which has fallen to nothing. Wow. If I understand that right, that means my God is creating things even in this situation. How many of us have not experienced that even while we've been through this hybrid mode of church? I've been talking to people that they're going to continue on with certain things because some of the stuff we've learned, God's created a way for us to meet in prayer like never before. I've been doing some training stuff in the district for pastors where we have people from overseas joining us and God is doing amazing things. God is doing new things even in the midst of the crisis. That is the kind of God that we serve because he is a God that is always going to do good to you. Does that mean difficult things won't happen? No. But it also means that every difficult thing you happen is not coming from God. Things happen in this fallen world. And that's the journey that we are on. 
But brothers and sisters, when we start planting our tree next to the streams of living water of the character of who God is, then we begin to draw those truths up into our very being so that we step out with hope and we begin to radiate hope in the midst of the trials and the struggles. I can guarantee you that when this Ukraine-Russia story is finished, hopefully sooner than later, there are going to be popcorn stories popping up all over the place of how God was rescuing lost souls in powerful ways. So what are some of the steps that we can take to move towards an empowerment, a life of empowerment? Well, one of the first things we see in this Jeremiah 17 passage, and I believe the way it's juxtaposed, showing us like two completely opposing images and then putting at the bottom, but the heart is deceitful. One of the first things we need to pray is, Lord, would you create a fresh thirst in my heart for you? Would you create a fresh thirst in my heart for you? Have you ever been thirsty? I remember a number of years ago, I went on a three-day fast. I tried an Esther fast, going off food and water for three days. I don't recommend it. You're never supposed to do it by yourself because they say you'll get to about the 16-hour, 18-hour point. And unless you have some people doing it with you, you won't be able to continue. Well, I was trying it on my own and I got to the 16th hour. The food wasn't a problem for three days. I didn't feel a stitch of hunger, but the thirst was off the charts. In fact, I started cheating every half hour. I started brushing my teeth because I was like desperate to somehow get a little bit of moisture. That is the kind of thirst that is inside every human being for the living God. And we want to pray, Lord, lift off of me the deception, the blinders that are blocking me so that I am only drawing strength from you and from no other source. You know, the danger in our culture, it used to be you just have one good show a week that you could watch on TV. And then it kind of moved towards, well, you could have one good show a night. Now you can binge on Netflix for 24-7 and, and be going for how many years? But it's an escapism that blocks us and it just kind of dulls our senses when deep inside of us is a longing and a thirst for more of the living God, as our vision prayer says in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You know, the scripture teaches there are two ways that become, we become aware of our desperate need for God. One of them is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. It says, you know, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would he give you a spirit of revelation so that you may know him better. Revelation is to lift the veil off. And that's what Paul prayed for the churches, that the veil would be lifted off so that they could see their desperate longing for more of God. And then, of course, the second thing is the trials that God allows us to go through. They bring us to the end of ourselves, and sometimes it's the greatest act of good that God can do in our lives. So we see this comparison in our passage. We pray for this hunger, this thirst, this awareness, because if we're not aware, we cannot make change. We cannot move into an alignment with the Lord. And then the second thing we see in this passage, he says, you know, he says, 
What does the one who trusts in the Lord look like? They look like a tree planted by the water. And the word there is to transplant. Like this is an active, intentional act. You're going to plant your tree next to the streams of living water. What does that mean? You know, as God began to grow me in my own journey. My journey started out like with many of those myths that I shared on the front end. One that was really prevalent was that the things of the spirit weren't for today. I remember at Bible college being taught that. And I remember one of the international workers that ended up in Turkey, he said, well, why is it then that anybody who's made any significant difference in the kingdom has a testimony of being filled with the spirit? That stuck with me. But it wasn't about until seven, eight years later that I began to encounter people in the body of Christ who had a connection with God that I didn't have and I desperately wanted it. So I planted my tree next to them because I wanted to learn from them and pray with them and find out what is it? How do I get that connection? For some of us, that is what it's all about. Who is someone that has more faith than you, that has a walk with God that is contagious, that you long for, and you just say, I want to be mentored by them. I want to be in the same prayer group as them. I want to grow into the things of the spirit the way they do, because I am desperate for more of God. And of course, the third, the third one just is a natural outflow of that. You plant your tree next to the streams of living water. And then what does the scripture say? The roots automatically go out. See, from some of the studying I did about the horticulture is that the roots just go out to wherever. They're just looking. And so your roots are looking for thirst. You're looking for meaning. You're looking for value. And, you know, you might find a little bit of it on Facebook here, a little bit of it on Instagram here, but it's not going to last. And God says, plant your tree next to living waters and send your roots down deep into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do those roots do? Well, one of them is they absorb, the tips alone absorb water and minerals into your system. What are you absorbing into your spirit these days? Who are you hanging around with? How much time are you spending on the internet amazing book. If you want a good book to read, it's called The Common Rule. I forget the author's name, but it's an amazing book of how to reclaim your life from the distractions of media. You know, one of the gifts that we've shut out in the church is the gift of prophecy. And the Bible, and that's disobedience. The scripture says, do not treat prophecy with contempt. Treating something with contempt is treating it like it's worthless. That's what we've done. The early part of 2022, I received an email from Cindy Jacobs, a prophetic person in the States, talking about a conference where they had gathered 119 prophetic people, some from different nations, some from the States, and they were coming together to share what is it that God was saying to them? What was the Spirit of God saying to the church? And so I take that stuff seriously. I don't believe all of it because the Bible says to test everything. But there was good stuff in there that I could absorb into my being that gave me hope. 
What were some of those things? I'm going to share them with you. One of them was do not fear the shakings that are coming because the shakings are going to expose and reveal the unshakable kingdom of God. How do I test that? That's what the Bible says. Haggai chapter two says that even about the finances. You give, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. He's quoting Haggai chapter two. And it's saying that we there is an unshakable kingdom. That is what we need to be rooted in. Another one was about the technological revolution. Some of us have heard rumors of stuff like metaverse, about a virtual world and Web3 and Bitcoin and some of these things. And, and often as the church, instead of being at the front, we kind of stick our head in the sand and cower and hide. And one of these words was, do not be afraid of these things. They are neutral. God is going to raise up futurists who are going to be specialists in this area because advancement for the kingdom will come from some of these things in the same way as it did from the industrial revolution and one of the most exciting words that was there was about the gen z generation we've heard all sorts of talk about the millennials but the generation coming up right behind them which is ages 10 to 25 they're called the gen z generation and there is a declaration over that generation that they will be so fervent before God that it will provoke the generations before them to join, with, join in with their consecration. That there's going to be new waves of technology that will be used to, that will result in hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ through media. There's a need for the generations to be partnering together. We need to mentor one another. We need to grow and learn from one another because God is still creating and doing new things in our midst. What are you absorbing? Who are you hanging around with? Another thing that the roots do, they're a conduit. They gather in the nutrients and then they push it up through the trunk of the tree and go all the way into the leaves. You know, one of the reasons many of us are not experiencing a spirit-empowered life is because we've got blockages. We've got some secrets. We've got some areas of wounding. We've got some unforgiveness towards the church, towards our parents, towards our husband or our spouse, we're not going to let it go. We're dabbling in things that we shouldn't be and we're keeping it secret. And the first thing the spirit of God is going to do for you is he's going to come and gently convict you. The kindness of God, the goodness of God, is it what leads you into repentance? And what is the call of Christ? It's to walk in the light. And the enemy will come right away and say, man, if you bring that thing into the light, you are going to be condemned. You are going to be shamed. But that isn't true. You know why? Because when you bring things into the light of Christ, you get free and you get covered. You know, next time you get a chance, go out and look up into the sun. You can't even look into the sun because it's so bright. But the creator of the sun is even brighter than that. And when we come to him and we come inside next to him and hide in the shadow of his wings, imagine the shadow of the sun. It's way, way, way beyond. The closer you get to Jesus, the safer, the safer, the safer that you are. 
have courses courses through our district there's one on our website there's church renewal courses called set free there's soul care courses all of this stuff has been designed for such a time as this so that the body of christ can find safe places to come into the light and get free so that they can be spirit empowered men and women that make a difference in the lost world that we live in The roots are also act as storage. The bigger roots are loaded up with carbohydrates. They're storing that for when the tree is in inactive stage and it needs nutrients. You know, what are you doing these days to store up nutrients, spiritual nutrients in your life? You know, recently the Lord convicted me to start memorizing scripture again. So I'm starting to memorize the book of Ephesians. And, you know, I get on my exercise bike every once in a while. And, you know, I get out my little phone. I take a picture of Ephesians 1 and I put it up there and I'm working my way towards it. I'm almost through chapter 2. And wow, am I getting fed. And the amazing thing is it feels like I haven't even been on the bike, which is amazing. I'm not an exercise maniac. You know, years ago, when Christians were thrown in prison and they didn't have the Bible available to them, they would gather together and they would share, well, what do you have memorized? What part of scripture do you have memorized? Oh, what part do you have memorized? And they'd pull it all together and it was called the prison Bible. If that was to happen at Unionville Alliance Church, how much would you have of the scriptures? It's the living word of God sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit. Worship, soaking your spirit in worship, going out for walks in nature. Ask the Holy Spirit. One of the best things that you can do for a spirit-empowered life is read a book or take a course on how to hear God's voice. It is the gateway to freedom and to new life. Because God wants to speak constantly. You can, there's a whole course you can get. We've got a, a four-week one on our website that you can access. You see, the things of God are eternal. The word of God is eternal. When God speaks something to you and it's from him, it lives on. You know, I, my mother, she's 95 years old, just went to visit her. She doesn't know who I am. She's in dementia. I have a Zoom call with her every week, which is a gift that COVID gave me. They put a Bluetooth speaker up to her ear because she's practically deaf. And every time I say, mom, can we pray? Will you pray? And every time that she prays, it's a coherent prayer that honors God. because it's stored up inside. Some of you seniors, you're worried about what's coming. You can't control when your mind's gonna go. You can't control what's gonna happen, but you can be soaking up the truths of God and the words of God and be in prayer meetings and loving your neighbor and doing those things that last and making a difference and loving it. And then last but not least, the roots create an anchorage, a security. 
When your roots go down deep, when you're in the desert, those roots have to go down deep to get the water that's there. And then when the winds come, they are not pulled up. They don't fall. What is God saying to you this morning? Unionville Alliance Church, God's desire for you is that you would trust in the Lord, that your confidence would be in him, that you would be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear. You're not going to fear when heat comes. Your leaves are always going to be green. You're not going to worry in a year of drought. And you're never going to fail to bear fruit. God bless you.